0: Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskconofdc.org. That's org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk.
1: Our talk today, or as I say in New York, our talk today is uh, a very special one. We have a uh, dialogue. Dialogue seems to be the theme of the week, right? And uh, first, I'd like to uh, welcome Her Grace, Urmela Devi, to please come and uh, take your modern day asana. Uh, Urmela Devi and I go uh, way back. We've known each other about 40 years uh, for time serving in Detroit in the temple, not like serving time. Um, and uh, she is she's many things she's the uh... we have a committee that uh, advises the governing body on shast- uh, on scriptures and she's the chairperson of that committee she's also a phd uh... in uh... education and she's been a teacher for um, since she was born uh... decades <laughs> she's also a great-grandmother i know you wouldn't believe that but she's a great-grandmother And she's one of the uh, one of the leaders of our of our uh, Krishna Conscious Society, and we're very grateful to have her here today. And arguing with her, no, it's a dialogue, not a debate. Uh, We'd uh, request His Grace Radhika Raman Prabhu to uh, come and sit down. I think uh, many of us know Radhika Raman Prabhu. You know how there's, there's like urban legends that happen in ISKCON, right? So what you, how old were you when you got your Ph.D.? Uh, Twenty-one. Twenty-one. But it's, it's, I've seen it like go like he was nine years old when he got his Ph.D. from Oxford University. So, But he is one of the youngest, devotee, uh, youngest people ever to get a Ph.D. from Oxford University. He was 21 years old. And uh, he's uh, a devotee. Yep. <laughs> he's uh, a devotee from birth, uh, and um, that's how he came to Christian Consciousness, his parents forced him. Uh, he was, uh, <laughs> yes. and he's been a professor at uh, many uh, important universities, William and Mary we're familiar with, uh, here in, in, well, uh, in Virginia. And now he's the, um, the uh, chairman of the uh, religion committee at Utah State University. And we're very, very grateful for him to come today. And the, the topic, uh, my wife and I were saying, these great devotees are coming, what should we talk about? And we thought they should have a dialogue about um, the personalism and impersonalism. And um, I think for, on that I won't say anything more and take it away. I, this,
0: I, I think there's a lot of benefits to the impersonal view. I mean, who wouldn't want to be just peaceful? and not have any anxieties, and just just feel a sense of real connection with everybody. Y- you actually feel an, an impersonal realization that there isn't a, a separate interest between you and anyone else, or between anything. Ev- everything has the same interest, everything has the same power, everything has the same light, and you feel this incredible connection with everyone and everything and with God and, and a full sense of peace and detachment. I mean, anyone who describes impersonal realization, you read it and you go, whoa, I would really like that. Not to be affected by the pains and pleasures of the world, to see everything equally. I mean, I don't know, what, what do you think?
2: Uh, so, uh There's this phrase in the Upanishads uh, called, uh, probably the most famous phrase in the Upanishads, uh, called tat Twam asi, you are that. Uh, A little boy wants to know what reality is, and so he asks his father, and his father gives him many examples and says, look, look at a moth, look at a gnat, look at a worm, look at a cow, look at an elephant. All of these things, isha, atma, these are all souls, they're all spirit. And that's what you are too, shweta ketu, that was the boy's name, tat tvam asi. And that simple line, as you say, has been so attractive, so beautiful. The idea that all of us share in one single reality uh, that there's no difference uh, that there's no distinction that there's just unity there's just oneness and not only between you and me and you and me but between us and the ultimate reality between us and God between us and the absolute truth we are one we are unified we are single It makes the world so simple. Not only does it make it pleasant, but it's just so simple. How many things are there in the world? One. What's this world? Brahman, the ultimate reality. Who am I? Brahman. Who are you? Brahman. Everything is Brahman. And in a world that's rent apart, that's devastated, destroyed by difference and anger and hatred and, and, and racism and sexism and all kinds of problematic differences, wouldn't it be a beautiful world where we could all just be one? Where we could forget our differences, where we would be colorblind and we couldn't see the differences in skin color or the differences in gender or the differences in race or nationality? That's what the impersonal view has to offer.
0: Well, I, I think even more than that, because you know we struggle so much to understand each other. There, there's so many times that there's these differences of opinion and different viewpoints, where you know we we hear the same thing, we experience the same thing, but we interpret it in such different ways, and and we can be fighting to the point that we're shooting each other. You know and, and in in the oneness there there's no difference of opinion. Everybody sees everything the same way all of the time, and therefore there's complete and absolute harmony all of the time there's there's simply peace and if you you know if I want to understand somebody from a material point of view, I have to spend a lot of time listening to them and really thinking about them, maybe trying to empathize with them. But in oneness, I am them. And so I just simply have this awareness that I am them. And then I understand everything they feel and everything they think because it's what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And so there's this complete and absolute uh, unity that goes even beyond connection. It goes all the way to identity.
2: So that's the end of our class. And uh, I hope... um, All of you are thoroughly convinced by this um, doctrine, this viewpoint that we've presented. It's beautiful, it's simple, and it solves pretty much every problem there is.
0: Except for one problem. What's that? Well, I don't know if... I don't remember her name because I've been busy... My excuse is that I've been busy all weekend in intense meetings, so I didn't have the chance to look it up quite literally. But there was a a very famous case of a, a woman whose family was originally from India. Maybe she was born in India. She was living in Singapore, and this was her spiritual philosophy. She contacted, she contracted, contacted, contracted, contacted. She got cancer. What's the word for that anyway? Contracted? It sounds terrible, like you make a deal with uh, somebody to fix up your house. <laughs> okay, cancer, can you and I sign a contract? Anyway, so she contracted, oh, Hare Krishna, cancer, and it got really bad. I mean, it, you know, all of her bodily organs had had stopped functioning. She was fully at stage four. She was in the hospital, and she died. Uh, But she didn't stay dead. She came back into her body. And when she came back into her body, she said that she had fully experienced this oneness, the philosophy of which she, she, she had adhered to before her death. And she became very famous, not so much for her spiritual realization, but because almost instantly upon coming back into her body, her body completely, totally, absolutely healed. And within a few days it was, it was totally functional and she became a medical miracle and it was very well documented and so forth though. So she sold a lot of books and made a lot of videos. And, but people were mostly interested in the medical side of it. But what particularly interested me is she said that when she achieved this, this oneness, not as a theory but as an experience, She said that because there was no separateness between her and anyone else, there couldn't be a relationship. And she said, although I was everyone and everyone was me and I could fully understand everyone because I was them, I couldn't relate to anyone because we were the same one. She said, therefore, I chose to come back into my body and experience an illusion of separateness, is how she put it. I I preferred the illusion of separate identity and I preferred life in a material body, in the material world, where I could have a relationship with others rather than experiencing this oneness. So I I thought this quite significant because Srila Prabhupada himself many times states that what this woman experienced is exactly the difficulty with this beautiful, peaceful, incredible uh, and, 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 and genuinely spiritual oneness. So that, that is the problem with it. So is, is there an alternative? Because this woman thought that the only alternative was to come back to the material platform of illusion. She, she saw either I could be one with God or I could be in material illusion. But is, is there another solution that's also spiritual?
2: So, the acharyas in our tradition, Sri Prabhupada, uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and in other Vaishnava traditions, uh, like Ramanujacharya, have said emphatically, yes. They take this phrase, tat tvam asi, and they say, hold on, there's another way to understand it. Not just you are that, but there's another way. Here's here's the challenge. In this simple phrase, or what looks very simple, you are that. Most people focus on the question of what's you, who are you, and a lot of people focus on the question of who's that, what's Brahman, what's the ultimate reality. But the most difficult word in this phrase, you are that, is actually the middle one, are, or the verb is, What does it mean to be? What is, is? Now, that sounds like a complicated thing, uh, and it can be, but let me try to make it really simple. Suppose we take a sentence like, that is Fred, that is Fred. Now, what are all the different ways in which you can use that? I could point to someone in the audience and say, that's Fred. Uh, and I would be pointing to a member of a group. What if Fred woke up one morning and pointed to a mirror and said, Oh, that's Fred. What's he identifying as Fred? He's pointing to the mirror, right? Is he saying the mirror is Fred? No, there's a reflection there. Is he saying I'm the reflection? No. What's he saying? Well, there's certain attributes in that mirror that match who I am. What if I say, I look at him and I say, that's Fred. (laughs) I'm saying what? That there are certain qualities that Fred has typically which I would identify with him, right? Now, suppose I used is in this way. And and, and here's, here's the most important one. What if I said, Fred is a painter. Now, is painting and Fred the same thing? Are all painters the same as Fred? No. I'm saying Fred has a certain attribute, a certain quality. So you see, the impersonalist perspective says everyone's, everything is one, and God is one, and therefore God can have no qualities, no attributes, because as soon as you introduce an attribute... There's a difference, right? There's distinction, there's more than one. There's Fred and there's painters. But our acharyas say, what if you, that wasn't a problem? What if instead of saying that God has no attributes, no qualities, no form, no color, no senses, what if de- instead of denying all of that to God, we put everything on him? We said, he has all forms, all qualities, all the senses, all attributes, all beauty. If we just loaded on all those wonderful qualities, then what does this mean? Tat tvam asi. says, tat tvam asi. You are that is like saying Fred is a painter. You are a quality of the Lord. You are a piece of the Lord. You are, uh, you are an adjective of Krishna. Now think of that for a minute, how wonderful that is. Everyone gets to keep their uniqueness. They get to keep their distinctive qualities. They get to keep what makes them special. And you take that, and how do you create the unity? How do you make sure that we're not all so special that we can't oh, get along? we don't
0: know that yet. Why? Well, because there there isn't unity. There's just difference, isn't there?
2: Here's how unity happens.
0: Well, wait, 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 wait. I, w- I want to look a little bit more at this okay. difference thing first. Okay. Is that all right? That's fine. OK, all right. I really like your analysis of R. It reminded me of a former president. But anyway,
3: <laughs> putting
0: putting that one aside, Um. There's there's a really interesting commentary that Sanatana Goswami, one of our, our great teachers, one of our great acharyas make, that says that the Lord has unlimited qualities and there's unlimited individual souls, parts of him, all, all of us, and that each of us has an attraction to one of those qualities. So in, in looking at that kind of difference, there, there's something particular about you were saying we pile on all this this beauty all this qualities all these forms everything into the lord so there's there's something unique about the lord that uniquely attracts me who's a unique person and so and it's interesting when krishna incarnated on this earth he appeared to everyone a little bit differently just a little bit differently and there's many descriptions of this. There was, there's one description of 16,100 people each relating to the Lord at once and they all saw him just a little bit differently. And, and this variety is so present in our world. I mean, if, if we look at a plant, everybody out the window, they can see one of those trees out there, yes? Or if you're sitting there, you can look out that window. And if you look at at one of those trees, even on the same tree, on the same branch, is every leaf exactly the same? On the same tree, on the same branch, each leaf is a little different. What to speak if you look at from one tree to the next, they're markedly different. And if you try to explain this in terms of utility, it doesn't really make sense. It's not some utilitarian reason why each species of trees has a different shape of leaf. What to speak of why each leaf on the same tree is a different shape, and if you think about, it snows here sometimes, right? In the winter, yes, yeah, sometimes, and each snowflake is different. I mean, who cares? Anybody look at every snowflake? Is there anyone who looks at it? I don't think anybody looks, but each snowflake is different. It's something that lasts sometimes, just for a few seconds, yeah. Sometimes when it snows, it melts as soon as it touches the ground. But each snowflake is different. And I remember bringing this up to them, and they said, yeah, what are you going to say, each grain of sand is different? I said, yeah, look it up. (laughs) You know, as we say, Google it. And you'll see that each grain of sand not only is different, but is a work of art. And you're thinking, who looks at each snowflake? Who looks at each grain of sand? Well, God does. And so there's this complete difference, which is which is kind of this glorious, glorious thing. And, and what is it that we want ultimately? Each of us wants ultimately to be fully who we are that's special. We each want to be special. We, we ended these meetings with everybody appreciating something from everybody else, and you try to think of what can I appreciate about someone that's special, that's really about them, Not just saying, well, yeah, you're a great person. you're like, okay, thanks. But that, that uniqueness. We all wanted to hear, I brought something to this that nobody else did. I made a contribution that only I could make that was an expression of myself. That I have some particular point of view and some particular opinion and some particular taste that's really unique to me. And when we understand that difference between ourself and someone else, that, that's what we're really looking for. So I really like this difference thing between us and God. But, that, but then we have a problem, don't we?
2: What's the problem?
0: Well, we talked about how wonderful the oneness was. And it seems like I have to have one or the other, isn't it? Like either I can have this really amazing... Peace, connection, harmony. Or I've got this absolute, you know, the word unique, uni means one. I've got this absolute unique individuality. But but I don't know. I mean, when I have the oneness, I don't have the relationships. And when I have this total individuality, there's something missing in the connection, isn't there? I mean, I can try to fully understand you as a unique person and you can fully try to understand me as a unique person, but where where do we get the harmony? I don't know.
2: I think this is where we need Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu.
0: Okay, okay. It's a good thing he's here. Yeah, okay. I,
2: I wanted to reflect on one thing you said, uh, right. that every one of us, appreciates, there's something in Krishna that each one of us um, is particularly drawn to and particularly appreciates. And you gave a wonderful example of that, of the queens in Rindavan. And another one came to mind, uh, how in the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, you remember Bhishma, he's lying on the bed of arrows, getting ready to die. And as he's dying, all the Pandavas, as well as Krishna, come to his uh, deathbed. And um, as they gather around him, Bhishma is remembering Krishna's wonderful form as he saw it in the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Uh, How did he see Krishna's form there? Uh, In a very different way than anyone in Vrindavan did, right? Uh, He's decorated with dust that's kicked up from the hooves of the horses, beads of sweat, and even drops of blood that are caused by the arrows shot from Pishma's bow. Pishma's thinking of Krishna in terms of the pain that he gave the Lord as a result of his arrows. Of course, Krishna didn't feel it as pain. But still, he's remembering Krishna in this most unusual way. And Srila Prabhupada says something really wonderful in the purport. He says this vision of Krishna, decorated in this way, his, he remembers exactly the hand in which Krishna was holding each item. So, and I, I'm forgetting, but he says, I think it's the right hand he was holding the reins, and in the left hand he was holding the whip for the horses. And as he's there with, with Arjun behind him, decorated with blood and sweat and dust, Prabhupada says that vision of Krishna was only available to Bhishma. Not even to Arjun, because Arjun was standing behind this picture, right? He was part of it. And it strikes it struck me how everyone in the battlefield of Kurukshetra, despite there being millions of people who might all look like generic soldiers, but everyone had a unique vision of Krishna that they only they could see. Krishna revealed something about them, about himself to them. And at that point, Prabhupada. I feel gives one of his most powerful arguments against impersonalism. It's just one sentence. And I don't remember the exact line, but he says something like, and this beautiful vision is unavailable to the impersonalist. They can have their oneness and their unity, but but what about this?
0: What about Krishna? But well, we I want some unity too.
2: Yes, we do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I- Can you help me?
2: (laughs) So how about we put the two things together?
0: Okay, okay.
2: What if we take the unity and we take the difference and we put them together? Now what do we have?
0: A paradox. Exactly,
2: we've got a total contradiction or uh, to put it nicer, paradox. So, and paradoxes are very difficult to understand. If we take bheda and we take abheda, difference and non difference, smash them together, we get bheda, abheda, which confuses the mind, makes it inconceivable. Contradictions, we don't do well with them at all. And therefore, we have to call it inconceivable, achintya. And Sri Chaitanya says, what if that's okay? What if a paradox is okay? Isn't it the case that the richest things in this world? are born of paradoxes.
0: And mysteries. And mysteries, yes. Like in psychology, they say that a, a re- relationship dies when there's when you don't have any sense of mystery anymore. If you think, I know this person inside out.
2: I, I remember on that uh, chapter 11 of Bhagavad Gita, when Arjuna sees Krishna's universal form, it, to me, whenever I've read that chapter, it almost seems like he's saying, whoa, I didn't know this side about of you Krishna. You know, it's kind of like you you're in a relationship with someone for so many years and still you have the ability to to be surprised by that person. To to look at that person and say, "Wow, I didn't know that about you. That was very generous of you." Or sometimes it's a negative thing. It's like, <laughs> "Oh my, how could you do that? I didn't know that about you." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and for Arjun, it's kind of it's this shock that Krishna saying Arjuna is saying, I didn't know this side of you. Oh my, who is this person? Who are you, Krishna? What, What a question to ask of someone he's known from his childhood. Who are you, Krishna? And Krishna tells a side of him that he's, Arjuna doesn't know. Time I am the great destroyer of these worlds. So there's definitely mystery in that relationship. There's definitely paradox in the best things in this world. And Sri Chaitanya says, what if we don't run away from that? What if we embrace it and we say, yes, this is where we should live. Because if anyone's going to be confusing and mysterious, isn't that, shouldn't that be God?
0: Shouldn't that be Krishna? So... The paradox is that, and and this is, is, you really got to go deep into this. Otherwise, it seems like, yeah, yeah, I get that. But if you're saying, yeah, yeah, I get that, then you're not getting it. (laughs) That we're absolutely different from God. He's a unique individual person, and I'm a unique individual person, and I have a relationship with him, and I'm absolutely one with him. That it's not that one is relative to the other. We can explain it like that with a material allegory to try to make some sense out of it, but then that doesn't make it a chincha. You know, what makes it a chincha is that both things are absolutely true simultaneously. And again, we, we can give some analogies, we can say, like the sun and the sunshine. Like right now, well, we do have some artificial light in here, though we probably don't need to. But there's a lot of sunlight coming in the room, and we can say, this is the sun. The sun's in the room, but if the sun was in the room, then we wouldn't have a room at all. So is there, you know, there's a oneness between the sunshine and the sun. And in fact, there's no meaning to sun without sunshine or sunshine without sun. And so they're absolutely one, and yet they're absolutely different. So that's a little idea, but it doesn't fully capture it. It doesn't fully capture it. That we really are one with God, and yet we're not at all. Uh, And and that both things are operating, and if we think of this in terms of a relationship, if we can imagine, just, just think of it in terms of a human relationship. Isn't this what we're looking for even in our human relationships? Something where we practically merge into the other person, and yet we retain our individual identity fully and completely. And I think you know our our most attractive human relationships, the the sexual relationship, the uh, mother-child relationship, you know, like the whole abortion debate, is it it, it the woman's body, is, is it the woman's body or is it the child's body? Because it's both, isn't it? They're one and yet they're different. And that, that feeling you have when you, when you f- really feel that oneness. And yet, at the same time, there's a difference. And that's what we're looking for. We don't generally achieve that in our human relationships. We fall short in that. But this is our yearning, our isn't it? Isn't it what we're just like aching for?
2: I, I, I think that's, that's such a crucial point that when the Upanishads say aham brahmasmi or going back to our first phrase tat tvam asi, I am Brahman, you are Brahman. We as devotees can say that with full conviction and truth. In fact, there's a purport in Bhagavad Gita where Prabhupada says exactly this, we are Krishna, the living entity is Krishna. But as soon as we say that, it would be better if we could do it simultaneously, but it's not possible. But as soon as we say that, we have to follow it
0: with... Why don't we try it simultaneously? You say you are Krish- we are Krishna, and I'll say we're, we're not Krishna. Okay. One, two, three. We're we not are Krishna. Krishna. <laughs> Why don't we try that with everybody, okay? You each decide which we want to say. <laughs> I am Krishna, and I am d- not Krishna, okay? And you just decide, pick one. One, two, three. I, I am, am not Krishna. Krishna. Krishna.
2: Okay, so now we know who the Mayavadis are in the room, oh, now so- and they should leave right away.
0: Stop, that's terrible. Okay,
2: yeah, sorry, that was wrong. No, was,
0: that was was Completely
2: wrong. against the point where you
0: are we you, 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 you haven't been listening from the beginning of this conversation. <laughs> Can you explain to us, maybe philosophically, how both of these things exist absolutely and simultaneously?
2: <clears throat> if, if you took one or the other, You see, it would create a a, a real problem. Suppose we said, let's take it with the example of the world instead of me individually. The Upanishads say, Sarvam Kalvidam Brahma. Everything is God. Everything is Brahman. Suppose we took that on its own. It would mean that the Lord is present here and everything is divine. That's beautiful. But it causes a problem. And what's the problem? That means there's no hope to better our situation. If this is it, if this world, including its misery and its struggle and trouble, if who we are now and who all of you are now is it, then there's nothing beyond to aspire for. There's no ultimate good to look forward to. That's called imminence if God is present in the world. And on its own, it doesn't leave us anything to look forward to. What if we take the other side? And we just say, God is different from the world. He's the creator, we're the created. He's as far as away, away as we can make it. What's the problem there? Now we've got a God who is great, but useless. He has no connection to us. He's not here with us. He doesn't know our pain. He doesn't feel it. There's no sense of togetherness between us and him or between all of us. That's just transcendence. The whole struggle of any theology is to try to hold these two things together, to say God is both immanent and transcendent. That He's the world and He's part of us and He's right here, and yet He's beyond it. So we have something to look forward to now and in the afterlife.
0: That's a really good place to end. And maybe we could have some. We have to. We can go till two o'clock. Yes, Ananda so we can have questions and discussion. Yes, hey, you got a green, I still
2: stuck in the Hare Krishna, thank you so much for that really enlivening uh, conversation. Um, Radhika Ramad Prabhu, I had a question for you. You made a sort of facetious comment about uh, knowing who all the Mayavadis in the room were, but isn't there a difference between an impersonalist and a Mayavadi? Um, yeah, could you say more to that? He caught you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you've, you definitely caught me there. Um, the, the, that's that's a very significant distinction. Srila uh, Jiva Goswami in the Sandarbhas makes it very clear that the fact that the Lord is one, that the creation is one, Advaya. In Bhagavatam it says, Vadanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yajnanam, Advayam. That the Lord is one and everything is one is a very important principle. That means that we are impersonalists. We accept the idea that there is an impersonal reality. But we're not mayavadis. Mayavadi means that that's all all that there is. And therefore, the Lord's beautiful form, his qualities, our relationship with the Lord, and our relationship with each other is maya. It's illusion. It's false. When we deny the personalist side, that's where the trouble starts. But not if we join it with the other side. Then we're good.
0: Hare Krishna. Uh, Thank you for the nice discussion. Uh, One
2: thing I have a problem with on the impersonalist side of viewpoint is that uh, they say that bhakti is a tool
0: to realize this truth rather than the end. You have something to say about it? Well, it's both. Because the impersonalists are only looking at half the picture, therefore, they only understand half of bhakti. So, bhakti is a means, but it also is the end. It's, it's kind of like um, if you give a gift to someone, you make, let's say you give a gift to someone of some flowers. So those flowers express the love that already exists, but they also help to increase love, both. So the flowers are a tool to increasing love, but they're also the end, they're also the measure of love that already exists. So because they they see half, therefore they understand only half of bhakti.
3: Hare Krishna, both of you, and I'm sorry I came late to the, to the program. But I have a question. You said something very interesting. You said that relationship emotion ends when the mystery disappears. Correct?
0: That's what psychologists okay, say. Okay,
3: my question is, at what point you reach unity with differences that doesn't have mystery if they have mysteries, then creates doubts. So how you, you perform or how you reach the unity when all those three principles are present?
0: I'm not sure if I understand your question.
3: Okay. The relation ends when mystery disappears, correct? You know now what it is. There is no more mystery. But mystery, one of the the side of the mystery is doubt, correct? Because you're doubting what the mystery is, what what the thing is. It might not be doubt.
0: It might be wonder and curiosity and excitement.
3: So my question is how you reach, at what point you reach unity with differences, and adding to that the mystery and the doubts that create the mystery.
0: If I'm understanding you correctly, and I'm not not sure that I am, so let me know if this answers you or not. Krishna is is dynamic. He's constantly expanding. So therefore, he always has more to know about himself. I mean, Krishna even has mysteries about himself. Just like we have mysteries about ourselves, yes? Otherwise, things like astrology and palmistry wouldn't interest us. You know, we always want to learn more about ourselves. You would think that we would be the greatest authority on ourselves. Why would I need to go to an astrologer? But, so Krishna likes to also learn more about himself. And Prabhupada says he expands and then his knowledge of himself expands and then he expands. And so with this unity and difference, there's always still a mystery about the Lord and and therefore about our relationship with him. So that that's an it's an ongoing, ever expanding thing. It's not like you reach a point. Spiritual realization, you could say there's a there's a point, like there's Brahma Bhuta prasanatmana So you could say you reach a point of of liberation from illusion. But it's not like you reach that point and you go, Okay, I'm done. But it's no matter how high you go, there's always more mystery and more expansion and more uh, relationship. Does that answer your question? Is that would you? Were. It's, it's,
3: it's, it in the right direction. Yeah, it, it's going what it is, but it's still the doubt. there, correct.
0: I don't. Know. Do you think you could try to address? So,
2: that? so maybe I could say something about the doubt. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I really liked what you said about. Achintya, or inconceivability, mystery, not having to lead necessarily for, to doubt. Uh, I, and, and it really depends on where we are at in our relationship with Krishna and with others. Is Occasionally, when something doesn't make sense to us, it can lead us to doubt, as Arjuna was doubting in Bhagavad Gita. Other times, when something doesn't make sense to us, it can lead us to wonder, as you were saying. So we can look at Krishna and we can say how could you do that? Or we can look at him and say, how could you do that? And all throughout Chaitanya Charitamrita, we find Achintya being used in that second sense of, wow, Krishna, how do you do that? That's amazing, right? But at other times in our relationship, admittedly, there can be moments of doubt where we can say, Krishna, your mystery is really unnerving. Why don't you just tell me what you want? Right? This mystery stuff is not sufficient. So both are different aspects of a relationship and they keep things interesting.
1: Thank you so much for your very nice talk. Um, I was um, wondering... Sorry. Yeah. I was wondering, um, when, when I chant Srila Prabhupada's pranam mantra and I um, think of the lines Nirvisheshu, Nirvadi, I have some impersonalistic ideas that I'm praying to to rid myself of those ideas. And so in your journey um, in bhakti yoga, um, have you found that it's a journey from
0: impersonalism to personalism that we're constantly shedding? Um, Probably not that... for Radhika Raman. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't brought up in in understanding this philosophy. I was brought up in a very impersonal religious idea, so for me it was certainly like that. But I, I remember, at one point, I was sitting down to eat and was sitting down prasadam, and everybody I was eating with were people who were born into Krishna consciousness. Maybe, maybe like 15 people in the room, and they were speaking about Krishna as if he was a person that they knew, as if he lived down the street or next door, and and he was just their friend. You know, I remember one time when my when one of my granddaughters was 3 or so and the kids were playing hide and seek in our house and she ran up to the deities and she said "Gorni Tai, Gorni Tai, where is Makunda hiding? <laughs> and and so it, it depends. For for me it was quite a journey. I mean, it was really quite a journey of first coming to ISKCON holding on to my impersonal ideas as supreme and having this like, oh, the devotees are saying that the personal is higher. Oh, wow, what's that about? And accepting Krishna as a person in a very theoretical, philosophical way, as as what I would call a philosophical construct. And gradually coming to see, you know, he's not a philosophical construct, he's actually a person. And really appreciating the, the impersonal, more as, as what you were saying, like sarvakalamidam Dham Brahma, that, that this person that, that I want to love is in the sunlight and is in the air and is, is in our breath and is in our ability and, and th- that this person that I love is also available everywhere and in everything and therefore appreciating the, the so-called impersonal in a personal way, which sounds completely, again, that's a paradox, isn't it? Um, but it, it is a shame that so many of us come from strictly impersonal backgrounds, and so we're, we, we fight against this this concept of, of God as a person. Uh,
2: May I add? Uh, oh, I'd love it words. if you would. Uh, so so for, for me, I mean, I, I think that's a wonderful question. For me, it's it's very much, kind of a, a day-to-day choice, uh, a, a, a moment-to-moment choice is, is uh, um, I, I'll give you two really quick examples. One is always re- trying to remember to ask the question in any situation, where's the person in this equation of mine or in this scenario or in this plan? Who are the people involved? If I'm grading papers, uh, for example, well, there, there are my standards, and there's the, the mark sheet, and, and there's what I expect of my students. But then if I know the student, then it changes things. If, if, I'm, if I ask, who's the writer behind this? Who's the person involved? Maybe they, they need correction, but maybe they just need a little bit of encouragement as well, and an extra comment that takes 10 seconds changes everything for them, right? So asking in every situation, yes, there's the system, and yes, there's the process, and yes, there's the resources, but where are the people? Who are the people involved? That, that's, that's an every-moment choice, and I find if I forget to ask that question, then technically the outcome might be what I expect, but it's dissatisfying. There's, there's no heart there. It's kind of empty.
1: Before I ask the question, I just have to remind you that that's an absolute perfect match to your kurta.
0: There's
1: no, there's no accidents here. <laughs> so here's my question. Oneness, oneness. I, have, I have heard <laughs> that Krishna is full of bliss. There's some phrase, Mayo byasat, something from Vedanta Sutra. And I've also heard from Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that we're part of him, part and parcel of him, Bhangsa jiva loka, something like that. Now, if Krishna is full of bliss all the time, and I'm part and parcel of Krishna, why aren't I full of bliss all the time? And is there a way to get to that point? Hare Krishna.
2: <laughs> okay, uh, so... Um, uh, Sh- Sanatan Goswami, in his commentary to Brihad Bhagavatamrita, he has this wonderful passage where he says that Brahman is bliss... We hear this from the Upanishads. Anandam Brahma. Brahman is bliss. The impersonal reality is that sense of peace. It's bliss. But Brahman cannot give you bliss. It is bliss. It's Sukha Rupa, but not Sukha Dhara. not the foundation of bliss. It's sugar, but it doesn't taste sweet. Hmm? Whereas Krishna is both sugar and he tastes sweet. If you try him, He's delicious, right? So, he's like honey. He's like honey. So, he says, this is why connection to the impersonal, even though the impersonal is Brahman, cannot make you happy. Whereas connection with Krishna, he's happiness, he's joy, but he can also make you happy, right? So, it's, it's that connection with Krishna that's lacking. Frankly, we are the joy, It's true what we hear. We are the joy we're seeking, and yet there's no way to taste it. It's like the sugar trying to taste itself. You 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 can't quite wrap your tongue around that, and so you have to connect to Krishna. Because when you connect to the Lord, then now you can actually taste it.
3: How do you connect?
1: What's the method of connecting? (laughs) Well,
0: Rupa Goswami says the connection is already there. It, it's. The, the way I like to think of it is if you have a, a spring of water that keeps flowing. Yeah, any of you have seen a natural spring? Yeah. So within our heart, there's already this spring of connection. Like in the Bible, David says, My cup runneth over, there, there's, it's, it's already there. But if you had like a, a basin with a spring at the bottom of it that would form a, a pond and if the spring keeps going the pond will overflow and it will become rivers. But if somehow you plugged that spring if you, if you put some sort of a block in the spring you wouldn't know it was there. So the connection is already there but I just simply have to remove that block well a very simple example is um, I'm sure most of you have a phone yeah and I'm sure most of you have a data plan on your phone and a phone okay so if any if you are all well- behaved you put your phone into airplane mode or something when you're sitting here as soon as I say that somebody's phone will go so the connection is there but you blocked it it's already there you paid the data plan. Right? You paid for the phone. It's on your phone. The waves are going through the air, but you blocked it. So the way that making a connection with Krishna means removing the blocks, basically. But our motive for removing the blocks in the beginning of our bhakti is that generally that I don't like something about my material life. Either I want to gain something I don't have or I want to get rid of something I don't like or I'm just curious or something like that. And eventually, the motive for removing the blocks is that I really want to feel that connection with Krishna. So our main process of removing this block, this block is things we don't really like to talk about. It's uh, fear, ego, anger, Lust, envy, mm, all these things. That, of course, I don't have any of those things, of course. Uh, but it's those things, and the way we remove that is ironically by being in touch with Krishna himself. Because if we're going to use this analogy of water, water can gradually wear away anything, even stone, isn't it? Yes? Yep. Yes? So if, yes, we, yes. if we just expose this block to water, it starts to wear it away. And as it starts to wear it away, we start to become aware as some chinks happen in this block. We give just a little tiny, just ever so slightly, give up a little bit of ego, a little bit of anger, a little bit, just infinitesimal amount of lust and greed. And then we go, oh, what's that? Because giving it up just, to, just a little bit, there's a chink that forms and we actually feel the connection with Krishna that's already there. And we what was that? So when we have our kirtans, we're connecting with Krishna and that connection with Krishna is wearing away this stuff. And then we're in the kirtan and we're thinking, what was that? I can't explain that, just, no, 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 uh, n- no. nothing ill intended, but I can't just explain that by the beautiful voice of the kirtan singer, or the, 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 the expertise of the instrument playing, because we could probably go to a concert with a much more expert singer, an instrument playing and harmonizing, but I'm experiencing something that I can't explain by the material elements. Or oh, we're about to have prasadam and we something. The first time I had a sandesh, the first time, I I had been a professional chef, and when I first ate the sandesh, I went, what is that? I was thinking about it all day, and I came back to the temple, I said, what is that? They said, milk and sugar. I'm like, no. (laughs)
2: Uh,
0: They said, a little lemon juice. I thought, that must be it. But it isn't. There's the taste of God. And that taste of God in prasadam, in the kirtan, in japa, in the books, in doing some seva, it wears away a little bit of this block. And we taste a little, little bit of the connection that's already there. And we go, whoa! And that whoa inspires us to keep on going and keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. And once about half that block is removed, we start saying, I'm a soul. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have a oneness with God and I have a relationship with God. And then we get really excited and we go deeper and deeper into the process. So how to, as Prabhupada would say, reestablish that connection, or reawaken it, uh, that's what we're doing in the Hare Krishna movement. And so we invite everybody here Uh, If you're already familiar with the philosophy, if you already know it, then let us live what we know. That's not always so easy, is it? Let's live what we know. And if you don't yet know it, we invite you to go deeper into it. We have so many books uh, written by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada and by his followers that these are available for your perusal. Many of his audio recordings and many of his followers of whom you can ask questions and go deeper and deeper and deeper until our whole heart fills with this connection, and then we will understand these things not theoretically or philosophically, but pratyaksha, vagamam, dharmam, we will understand them directly through personal experience. Thank you very much.